I'm in a position where I believe that the answer to that question has always been and will always be repentance to the one true God. How many of you believe that God still has a plan for this nation? Come on, somebody. I, I said, how many believe that there's enough people praying, there's enough people fasting, there's enough body of believers gathering today that God still has a plan? The, the, the question, what about America? The question, is this the end? The question, what sign? Well, my answer is, hey, God still has given us time. So let's do with our time. Look, I got too many babies for me to be the doom and gloom guy that just prophesies America into the pit of Hades. I'm raising up children to be a, a, a thermostat. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm raising up children to set the temperature, not to just follow the crowd. I'm raising up some culture changers. I'm raising up some atmosphere adjusters. I'm going to raise some prayer warriors, some citizens of this nation that are Christians first and America's second. I want to believe God that he still has a plan. And so we still ask the same question today that, that the disciples asked Jesus 2,000 years ago. What sign will you show, will signal your return and the end of time? Is this the end? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin this question right now. You ready? This whole series, this was a trick question. We set you up for the last three weeks. The truth is... There is no end. That's the truth. For people that believe in an existence after life in this world. The righteous in Christ will dwell, dwell with him forever. And those who did not decide to dwell with him here are not going to be forced to dwell with him for all eternity. Guys, there is no end. Where is America in the end? In the same place that every single other person will be. We will all stand before a holy and righteous, perfectly merciful, heavenly Father. And give an account. And guys, that's what today is all about. The question, is this the end? My answer is, who cares? I don't know if this is the end. And I'm not going to spend my time trying to figure out if this is the end. I'm going to live my life as if it, this is my last day. I'm going to live my life as if this is my last week. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live out my faith as if this is my only opportunity with the person that I'm standing in front of. In week one, we went over... Jesus' response to this question. You can find that in Matthew 24. Dr. Luke actually gives this parallel to Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 21. You can read those and, and you can dig into Jesus' response. Let me show you just towards the end here, Matthew 24, 44. Jesus says, 
Here's my answer to your sign. Here's my answer to you wanting to know when I'm going to return and what will signal the end of time. You must be ready all the time. That was his answer. There's not like significant things that you should look for and because they voted this way or didn't vote that way or passed this law or didn't pass that law. Listen, I'm thankful that I'm in the land of the free and the home of the brave, that we have a right to bear arms. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm thankful I can preach in a place where I can wear real tree max five and people know what that is and nobody even ask any questions. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to, to freely practice my faith. And I will fight for that as long as I live in this land because democracy is the arm that Jesus has given me to live out my testimony at this time. You must be ready for the Son of Man. Here's when he's coming, unannounced, unexpected. Fat Tuesday, that's what he's saying right there. That's when he's coming. Hey, can I just, just disclaimer real quick, okay? I am not against celebrations and culture let me just very clear because I've said this and I've made a couple of pokes because February is always coming um, I am not against Mardi Gras I'm against sin I'm not against family friendly celebrations like a carnival I'm against Hallow's Eve I'm not against Mardi Gras I'm against what takes place on Fat Tuesday I'm not against celebrations of family-friendly things that we can redeem for a generation that would actually practice them in a healthy manner. I am against the sin and the expectation that for some reason God is just going to be gracious enough to give us some kind of license just because we don't know how to celebrate without sinning. Come on, somebody. That's, that's what I'm against. And I believe that the church can have more fun than the world and not regret it the next day. Come on. <laughs> Verse 45, Jesus says, A faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. Faithful and sensible other household servants and feeding them. Guys, this was the point of Jesus' answer. If you want to know the point of Jesus' response, here's what he said. One will be left. If we don't do what God has called us to do, if we, if we run around, spend all our time looking for signs instead of looking to the Savior, instead of listening to the Spirit, instead of living out why he set us free, then one will be left. Peter reiterates this point in his interpretation of Jesus' response. I'm going to give you some of the scripture quickly that I, I didn't get to last week because of some storm for the 75th time this year. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord isn't slow about his promise, as you think he is being slow. No, no, that's not what's happening. He, he's not slow. He is patient for for your sake because america has slipped into a christian coma 
Would you put that down? That's not in my notes, and I want to say that again. That's what has happened to the church. Until last year, we were perfectly content and satisfied with saying that a whole lot of people were coming to a small building three times a Sunday. And we were giving ourselves, listen, what's happened to the church is that the church has slipped into a coma and called it spirit-filled. The church has slipped into a coma where they are no longer sinning, but they're not doing anything other than just not sinning. Guys, anybody can be sinless in their sleep. The church is called to be alive. And God is being patient for our sake. Peter's writing to the church for your sake. He's not talking to lost people. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He's waiting for the church to do their job. Remember, this is the same guy that listened to Jesus' exhortation of the last days. Doesn't want anyone to be, he wants everyone to repent. Watch this, verse 10. But the day of the Lord, this, this is not a great translation, okay, of that word. And it's almost, the, it's the translation in just about every, every version. The, the better word right here is however. So here's what it's saying, listen. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some people think he is, but he is patient, that no one would perish and all would come to repentance, however. That's how it reads. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. It's going to burn. Remember that? It's, it's kind of sad and kind of scary, but it's true. It's going, it's going to burn. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Listen, hear me, remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God that we see in the Old Testament is the same God that was revealed in the New Testament and ultimately the God that we will stand before after our testament. God will bring judgment, verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed. Like, it... it Everything as we know it is going to end. Since everything's going to be destroyed, what holy and godly lives you should live, no matter what day of the year or what celebration or what the world around you may call, grace has never been license. Grace has never been excuse. Looking forward, verse 12 says, to the day of God and hurrying it along. Because we have the ability. Did you know that the church has the ability to hurry along the day of the Lord? Like, God will, according to this scripture, God will adjust his timeline according to our obedience. If you don't believe me, then you don't believe in free will. Because we see throughout scripture that God did do things because of disobedience and because of obedience, and God didn't do things because of disobedience and obedience. And our obedience can affect his anointing. Our obedience can affect his timing. Our obedience can affect his coming. Are you all okay? Verse 14, and so, dear friends, while you were waiting for these things to happen, make every effort, not just some of the effort, but make every effort, Every single effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure. I, we've, 
we've fallen subject to the same impurity as the world around us. 70 to 80% of the church. We don't value purity. Let me prove it. Let me prove it. Um, I have seen, just, just with, go with me for a second. Would you be more upset? Don't answer this out loud, okay? Would you be more upset if you found out that your 16-year-old was practicing promiscuity, and I'm being careful for little ears, you can interpret that as it's supposed to be. Would you, find, would you be more upset if you found out that your 16-year-old was practicing promiscuity or if he or she wanted to get married? Because of only one of those should make you upset biblically. And we live in a time where we are just as satisfied with impurity and just as founded by immorality. Verse 15 says, remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. That's the only reason he's not already here. The Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And remember, this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Jump with me, last two verses, Peter's final words, the Bible says, so be on guard. So be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people. In other words, you won't become just like the world around you. Sprinkle in a little Jesus and call it Christianity. I, I know this isn't the, the like, most encouraging series. Unless you understand that God has called you to more than you're currently living. And then it is an extremely inspirational series. Listen to me, hear me. Don't wait until a funeral to find your purpose. Don't wait until you wish you would have. Here's what we say. Live your what if instead of looking back and having to ask. Verse 18, rather grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's what Peter's saying. Because Jesus said one will be left, Peter is saying God is waiting. God is waiting on what? God is waiting on people to be saved and you to grow in grace. God is waiting for people to be saved and you to grow, on, grow in grace. That's what he's waiting on. So let me ask this question, and I believe that you need to ask yourself this question, but understand that I'm not asking you a question that I'm not asking myself, all right? Here's the question. Where am I investing my effort? On a weekly basis, look at your time, look at your talent, look at your treasure, look at your schedule, look at your emotion, look at your energy, look at your effort, and say, what do I really believe? Where does my investment show that I really believe. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. This is why Peter said we needed to grow in grace. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I said this in our, our Monday morning roundtable last week. Well, it was Monday at lunch roundtable. And, and I double-checked it, and then I asked a couple other guys. I wanted to make sure that this wasn't just a, a, a one-verse interpretation because you can get in trouble trying to make doctrine out of one verse. It's just not predominantly a good idea. But I asked some, some Bible college graduates. I asked some other people 
according to this verse, I believe that it's personally, this is not a biblical absolute, so if you don't like this, just go study it out for your, on your own and you'll prove me right. All right. Says, verse, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So if people are not being saved, then the grace of God is not in it. So you have to ask, man, am I really growing in grace if I'm not seeing people saved? Now, the good news is you don't have to do that alone because you come to a church that's led by a staff and leadership that refuses to have a social gathering and call it spiritual. We refuse to be satisfied with not seeing people saved. Why? Because I believe that if you're not seeing people saved, then God's grace may have stopped appearing. And we may have become satisfied with less than he ever desired for us to become satisfied with. That's why I'm asking, where am I investing my effort? Okay, so we gave you Matthew 24, we gave you 2 Peter chapter 3. And here's the two things that we see that were most important to Jesus. Okay, listen, hear me. It's not the timeline, which I'll give you in just a few minutes. It's not the sign of the times. It's not which, it's not which head of the beast America represents. It's not which bowl of judgment is going to come when. It's not even whether the church is going to be called up before the great tribulation, in the middle, or after. None of those. Those are all byproducts. And those answers are in Scripture, predominantly. But then some of them, I don't even know if God really wanted us to know. Why? Because he wanted us to stop focusing on things that don't matter and catch the point. And the point of those passages was this, that we should be found living for Jesus and reaching people for Jesus. And if we're not doing that, then we're not doing what he's called us to do. If we miss this, then we miss the whole point of everything, listen, of the answer to this question. Now, on the way in today, I can't believe, I think our staff did a good job because I can't believe that nobody moved the chair that was sitting in the way of everybody on their way in. <laughs> he said, just for those who are watching online, uh, he said that I won't give his name just to not throw him under the bus, but it starts with Greg and ends with Brown. And so he said, he said he sat in them and greeted people. And so there were, there were some cones in the parking lot. Did you, anybody see the cones in the parking lot? Okay. Or did you park way out there in the gravel so that all of our guests would have plenty of room to park? Just, no, you didn't do that. Okay, I was just making sure. Um, <laughs> or you can squeeze in right beside me because people will block you in. You can't leave till one. It's awesome. So the, the purpose of those was I, I watched. I came in a little bit earlier than normal, and, and I was watching people. And, and the people would kind of see them and kind of look, and they just walk around them. And, and it was right in your way. And nobody really asked anything. Nobody said anything. Maybe you asked one another. Nobody like picked up the chair and, and was like, hey, do you guys want me to put this somewhere? We saw it. It was right in the way. We looked at it and walked around it. And I have to ask, how many people did we do that same thing to last week? 
How, how many people last week did God put in our path? And we saw them, and we looked at them, and we said, oh, excuse me, sorry. And we kept going. Hey, guys, listen. Are we really in a place as God's people where we can live our lives every week as if it's just another week that we're alive and then show up on Sunday and give ourselves spiritual credit because we showed up to a service? But that has, what has been what we've defined as Christianity. You know, I asked them to grab these chairs just right out of the middle of everything. It's because you need to understand that every single one of these chairs possibly represents the one that Jesus was talking about will be left. Do you notice anybody in this sanctuary that used to be here and now they're not? Not because they passed from this life into the next, but just because they drifted and you haven't called them. Just because maybe you prayed for them at one point, and for some reason you gave up on them. Is it possible that it's not them growing away, but it's us not growing in grace? That's causing these chairs to be so satisfactorily empty. When we walk in, are we looking for somebody to greet? It's our vision. Meet people, grow closer to God together. And yet, and it's so easy for me to speak to because this is what I've done my entire life. We call Christianity, and listen, we give ourselves credit spiritually for just showing up on Sunday. I did it. I went to church. I gave. I even served. I changed a diaper. I'm a Christian. I literally did my duty. And yet, these chairs represent the one. And this cone represents an entire family that are sitting at home right now and they'll sit at home at 9.30 and they'll sit at home at 11.15 and they were put in your path last week. You used to know them. You used to pray for them. They used to sit in these chairs. They used to be in your section. They haven't been here in a while and, and either we failed them because we just couldn't keep up or didn't keep up or, or, or we didn't recruit enough sectional leaders per service. Honestly, sometimes we have a hard time finding enough prayer leaders for service because the church is satisfied with just showing up on Sunday and giving themselves credit where Am I investing my effort? The second question that we have to ask is, am I spinning my wheels on temporary things? Or am I spending wisely on eternal things? 
in those two passages that I've read and overemphasized for the last three weeks. It was all about living for Jesus and reaching people. And hear me, listen, if that's what we really believe, then why are we not spending every ounce of our effort filling these seats with souls that are connected to Jesus and the bride? It's not just about coming to church. No, 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 no. We've got to stop giving ourselves credit just for showing up for a service. No, no, no. This is about connecting to Jesus and becoming part of the bride of Christ. Why is it so hard to recruit and raise small group leaders? Because discipleship is dirty. And 2020 Christians don't like getting their hands dirty. Why is it so hard to find people to serve outside of a Sunday, much less on the Sunday? Because we're spinning our wheels. Hey, when you get too busy, what's the first thing that happens? When you get too busy, what's the first thing you quit? When, when you're spending too much money, where's the first place you cut? <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been in this too long. And I really haven't even been in it that long. Hey, pastor, I'm sorry, we just can't do this anymore, man. We're, golly, man, you know, our kids and our, our grandkids and, and work and, and temporary and, and temporary and temporary and temporary this and temporary that. And, and I'm, you know, I'm spinning my wheels. All, I just can't serve anymore. You didn't call your office and ask for fewer hours last week. <laughs> but you don't want to serve. And we live in a society that's spinning their wheels instead of spending wisely. And guys, I don't want to pastor that church. And you know what the good news is? I really don't think I am. Because we have a lot of people serving in a lot of places. And our small groups and our discipleship groups and our freedom groups are healthier than they've ever been. Hey, let me give you a crash course, and I mean a crash course. You're not going to be able to keep up. We gave you an insert in your bulletin. We put these at unischurch.com slash notes. That's online. You can find it. I printed some this morning and left them in the office. Come on. So we, I was thinking of you today. I forgot about you, but I was thinking of you on the way out this morning. Here's the timeline. You ready? Uh, it begins, I believe, with the church being caught up in the air. Okay, that, that is, that, I, that's what I believe. Now listen, let me remind you, I can, I can also prove that this won't happen until the middle of the Great Tribulation, and I can use Scripture to do it. I can also prove that this won't happen until the end of the Great Tribulation, and I can use Scripture to do it. The only reason that I put that right there before I put it anywhere else in this timeline is because I believe that Jesus is coming back unannounced and unexpected. And because I know and believe that it will come at the time, according to Scripture, over and over and over again, in the time that is least expected, that's what the Scripture says, I believe in an imminent return. And so, if I didn't believe, if I personally did not believe in an imminent return, then I would be looking for this, not him. I would be looking for that first 
signing of the peace treaty that will spark, I believe, according to Daniel 9.27, the first day of seven years times time and a half, 1260 days, the seventh week according to the book of Daniel. This treaty with Israel, I believe, will start, will begin day one of seven years of tribulation, great tribulation, three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. And, and by the way, that's when the earth will be baptized in fire. Now, in between that peace treaty or the great tribulation, I believe we will face a judgment seat of Jesus. See, everybody just thinks there's one judgment. And I am scripturally convinced that there's more than one judgment. I'm going to show you. I'll, I'll come back to this. In the middle of those three and a half years, according to Matthew 24 and Revelation 13, and actually 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. You're going to have to write those down on your own. We see this man of sin or this abomination of desolation. In the middle of that three and a half years of peace, the guy that led that peace treaty is going to stand on the temple mound, proclaim himself to be God, and you will not be able to buy, sell, eat, or live without the mark of the beast unless you bow down and worship him. That is referred to in Scripture as the abomination of desolation. Throw the next slide up for me. There will be, for three and a half years, great tribulation on earth. Remember I read in Matthew 24, unless that time were cut short, no one would survive. You remember that? That was in Matthew 24. Nobody would make it to the end if, if God wasn't gracious enough to cut that time short. There's 1,260 days of that great tribulation that will take place in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4 to 19 describes all of that tribulation. Revelation 1 through 3 describes the church. And you never hear of the church again in Revelation 4 through 19. I believe that's because we're not there. I believe that's because we've already been caught up in the air and we are standing before Jesus in his judgment seat giving account not of whether we received him but what we did with what we received from him. I'm going to get back to it in just a minute. Great tribulation. At the end of that, Jesus is coming back. Come on, those are some, those are some, and by the way, we're coming with him. Like he's riding on a white horse. He can put me on a little donkey if he wants to. I'm coming with Jesus. Like it don't matter to me. I'm just going to be excited to be there. And there's not going to be a battle. There's going to be a word. And the battle will be won. And we will rule and reign with Jesus for 1,000 years. At the end of that 1,000 years, the Bible says that the enemy will be released one more time to confuse the nations. To tempt the world. And then there will be a great white throne judgment. So listen, hear me. So this idea that when we pass from this life into the next, we just get to go stand with Jesus in some kind of like mystical utopia, it's not accurate. In fact, we all sing and look forward to a place that's gonna be consumed by fire. Heaven as we know it and hell as we know it are nothing but a holding place for the great white throne judgment. The people that are in the place that is of eternal separation from God, we call it hell right now, they, have, they are looking forward to one thing this moment when they can stand before God right before they're cast into a lake of fire. That's all they think about. Because it's their only moment past this life that they'll ever have again. And the church, hear me, the church will be there. 
And if these people are standing before God, you know, the ones that he put in our path, but they got in our way because we were spinning our wheels, we were busy, we had something to do or something to buy or somewhere to go, somebody else that we liked already that we needed to get to and see, those people will stand there and we'll watch and we'll know that we walked around them when we could have been used to reach them. The empty chairs in this room, they represent somebody. In fact, they represent somebody's family. They represent an entire generation. In fact, a group of generations. We'll stand before the great white throne judgment, and then it's in the book of Revelation chapter 20 where the Bible says, Then he will wipe away every tear, and there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. See, I, I personally, just hear me, okay? I could be wrong, but I personally think that it's ridiculous to believe that people would leave this earth and stand before God, and they would know less there than they knew here. I personally believe that it's just a bad thought to think that people could leave this life and go stand before an all-knowing God, be in his presence, where tongues and prophecy are no longer needed, and they would know less there than they knew if they were still here. You know, I, I, I'm not sure that we're singing the right hymns. I'm not sure that we've been celebrating the right purpose. Because Jesus' answer, did, listen, hear me, to is this the end, didn't have anything to do with you getting to go to heaven. It had to do with the life that we live for him and to others. Romans 14, 9. It says, Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. Verse 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 11 goes on to say the very popular passage that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And then verse 12 is where I really want you to hear. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Every single one of us. So I ask this final question. Is my foundation firm or flammable? Not flannel, but flammable. See... I wore this because I like it and it was expensive and I don't want to mess it up in the woods and I just thought it looked cool. But also to illustrate that you can't hide from what's coming. And you shouldn't hide from the people that God puts right in your way. Come on, I know. You saw them walking through Walmart. You ain't seen them in church in forever. And instead of going over to them, you said, How do I know? Because I've done it too. I ain't even going to lie. We're just being honest. 
Instead of being open and walking over, we ignore. Why? Because we refuse to be annoyed, even if it meant that we could have been anointed. And God could have used us to reach that person. Is my foundation firm? Or flammable. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. See, God's going to separate the sheep from the goat at the great white throne judgment. But God's not judging me at the judgment. That's not what that is. It, that's just whether I received Christ and followed Jesus and lived for him or not. But what about the judgment? for what I did or didn't do with what Jesus gave me, with the people that he put in my path. And I'm not talking about in a sanctuary because listen, can I just be really bluntly honest with you? I'm better at preaching it than I am practicing it. But every time that I feel like I missed an opportunity, I beg God to give me another one. See, there's a difference between knowing something and then knowing something and being okay with it. Being convicted by it. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus. It's not the same as the great white throne judgment. I don't believe. Why don't you believe that? Because each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. See, my salvation doesn't have anything to do with what I've done in the body. In fact, Paul wrote in Ephesians that I shouldn't, I shouldn't even boast upon that because it's not of works lest any man should boast. But there is a judgment well, where I will receive what is due. And maybe it's good. Help me, Jesus, right? That's the conviction that I carry with every person that he puts in my, with every phone call that I make, with everything that I say that offends somebody. I hate offending people. And yeah, sometimes it's necessary, but I, I hate it when it's not received the right way. Jesus said, if you go into a city and you're received, then bless them. If you go into a city and you're not received, then dust off your sandals. Guys, that one time in my whole life, one time in my whole life, have I ever pulled over and dusted off my sandals? And it was after about the 15th time that I feel like I made the absolute best effort and I just could not give to that person anymore. We don't use scripture as an excuse not to do what God has already called. We will all stand, whether good or evil, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Like, in other words, if this is what you really believe, then we should not be okay with this. If this is what we really believe, then we shouldn't just live our week just like everybody else and then show up on Sunday and say, good job, Christian. You did it. You are better than the forsaken that have fallen away and didn't show up for church. They are hell-bent and hell-bound, but we the righteous. No, what is, where is that? 
Where do we even come up with that? See, before he wrote this passage, Paul wrote this, and I close. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. So in other words, hear me, if you're not in Christ, you don't even have a foundation. Matthew and Luke, parallel passages. If you're just a hearer and not a doer, then you built a house on sand. That's not a foundation. That sinks every time a storm comes. Let me show you how strong your spirituality is. Evaluate it in the middle of the storm. And guys, I, can I, I've been encouraged at times, but more often my pastor's heart breaks whenever I read the churches, not just this church, I mean the so-called church, the believers, newsfeed, Instagram, or Facebook. You know why? Because they're yelling and screaming and acting like unborn babies just like everybody else. And I don't get it. Because when I feel that way, I know I can't act that way. Because that's the old man trying to come back out instead of being the new man that reaches new people. Verse 12 says, if anyone builds on the foundation, remember, you don't even have a foundation if you're not in, in Jesus. The only way you even have a foundation is if you hear and obey the word. Then you have a foundation. And now we're talking about what we build upon the foundation. Hey, way too many Christians build foundations and call them homes. Way too many. Lay a foundation and call the house built. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. Why? For the day, the day, the one we've been talking about for the last three weeks, will disclose it because it's going to burn. <laughs> See, it's funny until he points it at us, right? Our works are going to burn. They will be tried by fire, tested, and, and what sort of work each one of us has done will be revealed. So we have these two categories. We have wood, hay, straw, or stubble, as some versions say, and then we have gold, which is refined by fire. That's what it means to grow in grace. It means that you don't respond the same way as everybody else does whenever you get burned. You let God show you what he's trying to train you and teach you. What he's trying to mold in you or cut out of you. That's what gold does. Silver, the Bible says the words of the godly are like precious silver. Those are the words that when you were standing with that person in the field, at the meal, at work, in the house, you put them wherever you want to. Those are the words that the Holy Spirit wanted you to say, wanted you to pray, wanted you to share. And it's not a three-step gospel plan. It's a relationship with Jesus. And finally, the precious stone. Now remember, on the other side, these were the things that are going to just be consumed by wood, hay, and stubble. All those things, wood, hay, and stubble, they're above the ground. 
They're surface level. And that, that, I believe, is why the church is losing its impact. Because we have a surface level relationship with Jesus, but we call it spiritual. And then over here is gold and silver and precious stones. And you don't find those just laying on top of the ground for you to pick up with easy access. Now you got to work for these. Precious stones. The Bible says that the priest in the book of Leviticus, they would have a garment and they would have a robe and they would have all of these clothing and items and different things. They would have a prayer cloth and then right in the middle, they would have this gold necklace that went down into this almost plate looking piece that would hold the 12 stones of the tribes of Israel. By the way, it's the same thing that Ezekiel used to describe Lucifer before the fall. And it's the same thing that Revelation uses to describe the church at the end when we're coming back with Jesus. These stones, as the priest would walk into the Shekinah glory of God, and the glory of God would become like a light in the temple. It was the light that God said, let it go forth on day one. The Shekinah glory of God will begin to shine into the saint of God. The Shekinah glory of God will begin to shine upon the person of God. The Shekinah glory of God will begin to shine upon the people who are living for Jesus and looking for an opportunity to reach somebody for him. But they wouldn't hoard the Shekinah glory because they couldn't contain the glory that they was being revealed to them. It would go on to them, but then it would reflect off of them. And so they were only satisfied not with, hear me, come on somebody, not with just receiving the light of God, but with resonating the light of God. It was the refining of the power of God, the refining of the fire of God that led to the words that were spoken by the righteous in God. And finally, the glory that was not just received but that would be revealed through the people and that is tried by fire and the precious stone personified so am I building upon a foundation that is firm or flammable am I going to be refined or am I going to smell like smoke would you bow your head and close your eyes? I know it was heavy. God, thank you for the patience of your people. Thank you for your word that it does not return unto your void. God, right now, right now, I pray that every follower of Jesus would ask, where am I investing my effort? Am I investing my time, my talent, and my treasure in mainly temporary and a little eternal or mainly eternal with a mix of temporary God am I spinning my wheels just like the rest of the world sprinkling in a little Jesus and calling it Christianity or am I spending wisely because there's a judgment seat and it's yours. And I don't want to present you wood, hay, and stubble. I want to present you the lives of the people that you use me to live for you in front of.
gold, refined by fire, silver, which are the words of the godly, and precious stones, which personify your presence in me and then back out to the people that you put in my path. If you're in the room right now and you're not in Christ, friend, I love you and we're doing everything we can to reach you. We prayed for you this morning, but you don't have a foundation. You can't build anything because you don't have anything to build upon. You've got to give your life to Jesus. Truly surrender, fully surrender, and receive the salvation that he purchased. It's not of works. You can't try harder. That doesn't work because then you would give yourself credit instead of God glory. No, no, no. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. You have to receive salvation to become salvation. If you need to receive salvation today, if you need to give your life to Jesus in the room or watching online, I want to invite you right now to put your hands in your lap and open them as if you were positioned and postured to receive a gift because that's what salvation is, is the gift of God. As the church is praying right now, if that's you, open your hands. You're the reason we meet. You're the reason I preach. I don't want to see anybody left. I want to see everybody go. Would you receive right now? If you will, I want to ask you to confess. I want to ask you to pray. I want to ask you to use your words and use your mouth to receive. Come on, church, would you pray with anybody that needs to pray this prayer today? Let's say it out loud together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short, where I've lived just like everybody else. I've been distracted, disobedient. That's sin. It separates me from you and your will. But I believe you died on the cross you paid for my sin. You were raised from the dead so I could be saved. I could be new, born again, and baptized in your spirit. I surrender. Take my life. Make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Give God praise today.